I mean, Hachimura is one thing, but there's uh, Watanabe as well, who's an excellent basketball player. Ken Watanabe? Uh, Ken Watanabe transitioned <laughs> late in his career. <laughs> Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 76. Today we're talking about children's mental health in Japan. But first, the updates. Mark, take it away with your updates, man. Emma. Let's start with Emma. She's four months old now. She's doing pretty good. She had her four-month checkup last week. And you know they give you that range where like the average height and weight for a child based on their age. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty big range. Mm -hmm. Like it's from like for her age right now, it, it goes from like, I think it's like five and a half to like eight kilograms. Yeah. And she's eight. So she's like right at that. At which point wow. it makes me think like she's not average anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's <laughs> like pushing she, the envelope. Yeah. She's pretty big for her age at this point which every, everywhere we go and we compare her to kids her age it's like oh yeah she's obviously big yeah is there a woman's sumo circuit like for female toddlers toddlers i'm not sure there must be a female sumo circuit though somewhere i think you know she'll probably level off into the average range eventually but uh as long as she's big at this age you got to put her in the squared circle or just the circular circle. I guess so. We'll see what she wants to do. I'm not going to put put any pressure on her. Okay. Once she starts crawling, you know, they can't do sumo until they crawl. Can you do it if you can't stand? I think you need to stand as well. Probably. That's part of the thing. Like you have to be on your feet. Yeah. You know, isn't it crazy that Japan is famous for having on average sort of small petite people? Oh, yeah. But then they're also famous for having the largest athletes in a single sport, which is sumo, they occupy both ends of the range. I ask this question every time I see sumo on TV. I'm like, how is this a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Why here? Why did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they seem that much more like gods or something, that they're so big. Any other country, these people are put on diets and they're considered yeah. unhealthy. But in Japan, yeah. it's like, wow, that's an athlete. <laughs> in, in any other country, those are just the people you see in the airport. It's just like... That's who yeah. we are. You're like, crap, I got to sit next to that person. Dude, I <laughs> I might have told this before, but one time, one of my reverse culture shocks was I went back to the U.S. and I landed in uh -oh. Dallas. And uh, uh -oh. I saw on a bench, there were like <laughs> 10 really big people sitting next to each other on a bench in an airport. Mm. And then in my mind, I was like just racing for reasons why. And I was like, what kind of club or trip is this? <laughs> Where it's only like 300 pound people. And I was like, if they were all like, you know, 6'10", it would be a basketball team. But they're all 300 pounds. And I'm like, is this like a support group for something or what is it? And then I realized, oh, it's 10 Americans. Yeah. Okay. It's just okay. Americans. That's the club. <laughs> I hadn't seen 10 large people in a row in Japan, you know, for like the previous however many year or two that I had been here. Yeah. And it really threw me for a loop. But yeah. anyway. Not to uh, derail your updates, but it sounds like Emma's healthy. Healthier than almost every other baby. Very healthy. Very healthy, happy child. And uh, yeah, doing well. Nothing wrong. No issues to report. She got a little cold this week, which we all kind of got, I think, from Coda's daycare. So we've all been mm -hmm. dealing with 
some sore throat, runny nose issues. And uh, I'm glad she's getting, she's dealing with it now. Cause yeah. I remember Coda didn't have any sickness for like a year. And then he got all of the sickness in like a four month window, which sucked. Yeah. So if she can get these little colds now and kind of get them through her system and be fine, then we won't have to deal with that craziness when she goes to daycare. It seems like Coda's daycare is the spawning point for almost all illness. Um, I heard a rumor yes. that in late 2019, Coda's daycare was ground zero for COVID. That's just what I heard. He was not there yet, but I would not doubt it. If you told me that as fact, I would say <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, you know, Nico hasn't been sick in like in a long time, and it's making me worried for when the other shoe Crazy. drops. But maybe I'll send him over to Coda's daycare for a while. Yeah, bring him over. Well, it could have been the daycare, or we we had a uh, a birthday party. We attended his cousin uh, turned four last weekend, and we went to a birthday party at their house. So it could have been there as well that we picked something up because there was daycare children that he knew at the house. Yeah. I'm still blaming it on daycare. Yeah. Because that's the ultimate source of all sickness, I think. Is there an exotic animal market in Coda's daycare? No. Are are they slaughtering <laughs> bats in Coda's daycare? That's what I want to know. We haven't seen any updates on that yet. <laughs> okay. Good. We'll ask about it and <laughs> see what they say. <laughs> yeah. Should I run into Coda's? Do you want to do Oh, yeah. Nico's I'll go first. For it. All right, Coda 21 once, like I said, went to a birthday party, had a great time. It's good to see him playing with like older kids because mm -hmm. I, I think he just, when we see him at home, we don't see him interacting that much and we don't get a lot of exposure with his daycare. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to see him and how he interacts with other kids when they're playing. But not only that, but like see how other kids are reacting because sometimes I think like, oh, Coda's like a loner and he just likes to do his own thing. Mm -hmm. But then you go to these parties where there's like other three and four year olds and you're like, wow, every kid just wants to play on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That and they're sense. all just kind of playing adjacent, mm -hmm. but they're doing their own thing. Um, do you notice that Coda looks at the older kids and is kind of enthralled by them, like laughing at them, imitating them, that sort of thing? No, no. Oh, yeah. Coda is not an imitator mm -hmm. in any way. I find that. Nico, like it, to me, it's almost to a worrying degree, but he fixates on other kids and then just oh. like giggles at them and tries to do what they do. And then I'm like, come on, man, be a leader, not follower. But I, I don't know it's just, you know, maybe kids interested in other kids. But I think that's the typical like toddler. Mm -hmm. Like they want it, they see the older kid and they, they want to emulate and they try to copy and that's how they kind of learn to play. Yeah. It worries me that I see Coda not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like him to copy a little more or engage with other older kids a little bit more. Yeah, I understand that for sure. Oh, I was going to ask too, uh, because we sort of gave Coda and Emma short shrift last episode with the earthquake talk. Uh, yeah. What about Coda's uh, talking? Are any leaps in that? No, no updates there yet. He says a lot of stuff, but there's mm -hmm. no language coming through yet. Yeah. When we were over at your place, maybe a month or so, well, for Christmas, I guess. Uh, yeah. I, that's when I really noticed Coda, like, just jabbering all the time. Like, all the time, yeah. Yeah, making sounds constantly. Yeah, he's real vocal so far. There, I mean, there's some times where you're like, did did he say a word there? But you can never get him to repeat something. 
Yeah. So we'll say like, you want to go bath and wash? And we usually use the, the word wash. Mm-hmm. And last night we thought he said wash. Uh-huh. But then we're just like trying to get him to do it again and it wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. And then one time I was like trying to get him to stop touching the toaster. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Koda, don't do that. No, no. And he was like, no. <laughs> Meaning that he wanted to keep touching the toaster. <laughs> yeah. He was rejecting your no. But I couldn't get him to repeat that either. So I don't know. I don't know what what he he definitely understands stuff that we're saying though. So I know like he's processing language. Yeah. Because I'll say things like, you know, pop wanna watch Paw Patrol? And then he'll run around and go sit on the couch and just wait yeah. for Paw Patrol to come on. Yeah. Um and other stuff will say and he'll want to do it like he knows that if it's bath time we'll say wash wash and then he'll like get up and start walking to the door mm. it's just he's not putting it together yet to put it out himself yeah it could be evidence of just like a massive independent streak in him that he's just like really it could be he yeah. wants to do i keep going back and forth like is this like early signs of like asd like autism or is this like a possible like ADHD like he's so hyperactive the boy just wants to run mm-hmm. and be active all the time so I'm like well maybe he's just like a little hyperactive and mm-hmm. can't sit still long enough to think about it or it could be just he's like super independent and just does not care yeah <laughs> so I don't know it's hard to tell at this age uh we did we did a daycare visit though this last week they had mm-hmm. a like kind of an open house for his class and that's the, uh, I think it's the one to two year old class. So all the parents were invited to come in for like an hour and kind of sit with all the kids and mm-hmm. hang out with them. So when we got there, like they brought all the parents into the auditorium. And then once all the parents were in, they slowly brought the kids on stage. And I guess the kids were supposed to like sing a little song and like do something on stage. But like as soon as all the kids were on stage and Coda saw us, he just left. He was like, nope, I'm going to my parents. Like, yeah. I'm going to go hang out. And he was the only kid. He just like, dude, he would not sit still through that entire thing. Like, all the other kids are sitting up there just kind of waiting and like looking around. But Coda's just like doing laps around the auditorium. Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to keep him still. That's interesting. Yeah, because it's hard to know psychologically what any toddler's thinking, of course. But um, yeah, you try to put yourself in his shoes and it's like, yeah, maybe he just does not care about this stupid song and wants to get out of there. No, but, uh, he just wanted to run. He was having so much fun. He just yeah. thought it was the greatest thing. He was running around, laughing, smiling. Mm-hmm. Then we sat through like a, a snack time. And uh, you, you'll let you'll appreciate this. They give him this little like wafer cookie thing and then a little glass of juice before he even takes a bite he takes the cookie and dips it in his juice and then takes a bite (laughs) that's my boy he's a a natural dipper yeah ready (laughs) (laughs) we call it around the house we call it a natural born dunker but you know the big dipper wilt chamberlain um yeah there's there's some overlap between dunking and dipping in the back of my mind i hope he saw me do it once at your house and he's like i'm gonna get into that I never know what he's picking up, so it's very possible. Nico persists with his dunking. It's the only way to eat. Taken after his father. Yeah, exactly. How is how is Nico? Why don't you tell us what, what's going on with Nico in Nico land? 
All good. It's uh, 23 months now that he's at, which means next month we'll have a birthday and he'll be a two-year-old officially,、mm, that's like、right. a, a full-blown adult toddler, I would call it, confusingly. <laughs>、um, so a couple of things. These are like sort of knock-on effects of the earthquake and the the stay in the shelter, but one is that we still don't have our car. That's my beloved Honda Freed.、Um, yeah, I was going to ask. I thought at this point that Honda would reach out and give me a, a backup Freed, but they haven't done so yet. I don't hold it against them; they have their reasons. But、um, has anybody given you any update on your car? Well,、uh, as we record this, it's January twentieth, and、um, the earthquake was on January first. Right in between there, on January tenth, we actually got a call.、Uh, it was to my wife's mother's cell phone. And、uh, okay. it was it was some worker who had、uh, happened upon the car and said that the road to a different area had been repaired well enough that he could move it. And then they discussed like where to leave it. And、oh. um, so then they decided on the parking lot of the main shelter, not the one we stayed in, but the one down the road from where we stayed. And、okay. uh, the car, because that place used to be an elementary school and it has a bit of a parking lot there. So.、Yeah. The car has been moved, but it's still like in the heart of Noto, in sort of the no man's land that was cut off、uh, because right, the, right. the roads were so bad. So people are still advised not to go up there.、Um, so it's been, I guess, well, we're on day twenty now without having the car, which is you know a very small sacrifice compared to what everybody else is going through up there. Yeah, they don't. A lot of them still don't have power and water. Yeah, and actually, just or to, houses. Yeah, houses. That's up on the list. On、uh, the seventeenth. Our shelter finally got power, so they were without power from the first to the seventeenth. And were there know, still people staying in that one? Yeah, still people in there.、Um, That's crazy. It was.、Uh, it got was, down to like negative temperatures like a week ago. Yeah, and there was a foot of snow.、Uh, like I forget when, but in the first after about nine or ten days, they had a foot of snow up there at the mountain. Oh my god! So it was wild, but.、Um, I mean, a lot of the stats from the earthquake are just ridiculous. Like,、um, yeah, in、uh, Suzu, this was on January second. The mayor of Suzu said that there are about six thousand homes in Suzu, and he said four to five thousand of them are not inhabitable. Yeah,、uh, I mean, can you imagine? Like, a household has however many people: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people. You know, whatever. So, whatever the multiplier there is, few, yeah, you know, tens of thousands of people. And、um, he was estimating that. Four to five thousand out of six thousand, you just could not live in. So you've got that number of people that need the shelters, and、um, that's just Suzu. That's not even Wajima or like Anamizu,、yeah. the, the greater Noto area. Just for another few stats,、uh, there have been two hundred and thirty-two deaths,、uh, over a thousand people seriously injured, twenty-two、mm. people still missing as of today,、um, which you know it's twenty days in, so outlook is not good there. And、um, across Ishikawa. There have been thirty thousand buildings damaged or destroyed, and、uh, of course that、Crazy. doesn't even count Toyama, where you are, which you know, yeah,、uh, got some of the the punishment as well.、Um, yeah, another thing that blew my mind in reading about it is、uh, the earthquake created two point four square kilometers of land area、yeah. in Suzu because、yeah. it like thrust the. Coast like the beach right there. It thrust it up, and、mm. the water re- receded. You know, toward the. I get this is on the the bay side. 
Um, but it also happened in Wajima. They said, I think there was like a four meter upheaval in part of yeah. the, the coastline and it just like created land is <laughs> how significant the earthquake was. Um, yep. I think outside Suzu in some areas, the shoreline retreated by 175 meters. So like mm. nearly two football fields out into the water they've like gained in, you know, what is now sandy, silty land, but um, right. that's just how significant it was. So anyway, that's more earthquake roundup than than Nico update. But because of all this, our car is still up there. We can't get it back. Um, we did hear that there's a guy who uh, his garage collapsed onto his cars. He had two cars and both of them were destroyed, like totaled because the garage fell in on them. And yeah. so he needs to buy a car. But how do you buy a car in Noto? Like everything's still so messed up and closed. So right. he needs to come to Kanazawa to go car shopping and to buy a car. And so then word got around that we have a car in, in up in Noto. And he was like, can I take your car to Kanazawa and then go car shopping? Oh. And then when I get a car, I'll give you your car back. And we were like, yes, sir, please do. Please. <laughs> so I don't know who this guy is, but I totally trust him to drive the car down. And um, that was one of my kind of uh, like sort of helpful things in the back of my mind. You know, it's really yeah. hard to get supplies or donations to Noto. But the one thing we already have there is a fully gassed up car just ready to go. Mm. And there are people there who are in a situation like we were, you know, need to come south, but just don't have a ride for whatever reason. Right. This guy, his uh, cars were totaled when the building collapsed. And now he's got six other seats he could potentially. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, we gave it the go ahead a few days ago. And then it's always hard to work out a schedule up there because you got to talk to people and organize like who's going to go when and that sort of thing. And it's always like strangers communicating with strangers via other strangers. So um, I guess uh, they are trying to round up a couple of the people to come down with him, maybe. But allegedly, the car will be delivered to us. And actually, after he comes to Kanazawa, he's going to keep it for a few days in Kanazawa uh, so that he can cruise around and like try to buy another car. Why wouldn't you swap him out for the hay truck so that you can have a car seatable car? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We hadn't thought about it. But um, we, uh, I guess... If we get in direct contact with him, we can sort that out as of now. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a very good idea, though. I'm going to propose it to Ayumi as soon as we stop this recording. But uh, as as for now, like, we haven't actually talked to the guy, but we just gave gotcha. everybody the go-ahead. Like, yeah, give him the keys, tell him to come down. It's fine. Gotcha. So uh, we may good. be getting the car back. Until we get the car, um, we don't have – our child seat was in the car. and uh, right. We only have the K truck seats too and doesn't feel very safe to take a kid around in. So mm. our, uh, well, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother has been more or less living with us since we got oh, back. Really? Yeah, because uh, she has a car with a child seat. So uh, just mm. to have a car staying here that we can use. Um, That's nice. She decided to uh, set up shop in the uh, in the guest room. And she'll generally stay for two or three nights in a row, and then she'll go back to her house uh, for a night or two and then come back. So it's probably been maybe 75% of the time she's been living here. Oh, that's nice then. Yeah. So uh, most mornings, the three of us ride to work. It's me, Nico, and the mother-in-law. And uh, oh, okay. she'll drop both of us off at school, and then she'll go run some errands or do what she wants to do with the car. And then you know she'll get Nico mm-hmm. and come back home. I usually walk home from work now or get a ride oh, with okay. Jeff, uh, J-Pop Jeff. Thank you. I've been walking it a lot, though. And until we get our car back, that's kind of the arrangement. That's how that works. 
that's good. I was wondering how you guys were getting the car seat situation handled. Obviously yeah. not in the K truck. It's a lot of communication because it's mm. like there are, you know, essentially a lot of us now needing this one car with the, uh, well, my wife can take the truck to work, which she's always done, but uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of coordination for the car and the child seat. Other than that, uh, I wanted to mention the the GoFundMe that I got up and running. I didn't have this before when we talked about the earthquake, but I mm. was writing my newspaper column and uh, I realized it's next to impossible to donate to the Japanese Red Cross because yeah. uh, their financial page where you input credit card information is in Japanese. So yeah. I was going to write in my article, give all your money to the Red Cross. Just go donate, donate to the Red Cross. They helped us. We slept under their blankets. I love the Red Cross, which I do. And yeah. I uh, have donated to the Red Cross. But um, it's just internationally, they really can't take advantage of like the sympathy that's, you know, the rest of the world is outpouring right now for Japan. So right. my sister said, uh, you should start a GoFundMe. And then I was like, I don't want to get into it. But then the more I thought about it, it was kind of the only way. So I started up a GoFundMe. Uh, if you want to look at it, it's 2024 Noto Earthquake. And then look for my name, like by Justin Whittinghill. Uh, mm. And you can check it out. I've been surprised because it's over eight thousand dollars now uh, has come mm. in on the on the GoFundMe. That's great. Yeah. So the goal of it is for us to give money back to specifically the local people in the shelter uh, that where we stayed, because like we had Nico, and as I said last week um, or last you know two weeks ago. Um, we didn't even have enough diapers. So they were like right. pulling food and diapers out of their totally busted up houses that they couldn't even live in um, and then yeah. giving it to us. So we came yeah. almost empty handed and then survived for five days on whatever people could give us like out of their totally demolished houses, which is some pretty extreme charitable giving to yeah. us. And have to so. be pretty bare by now after 20 yeah. days of this yeah absolutely so uh we thought you know with our fortunate position of having a nice safe house and electricity and water and all that we should mm. sort out something so we were gonna of course like donate ourselves and then i thought i'm just gonna write about it for the paper slap a gofundme in there and see what happens and it's nice it's nice. been eight thousand. you know it's more than i expected and now i'm even getting worried like oh man i'm feeling the pressure i've got to do something oh positive with the 8,000. So my wife's mother broke down a, a chart of how the money should go, where it should go, um, all the family names, um, you know, oh, that's good. divvied up all the cash equitably between the yeah. the people around there and like how many people are in their household, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we've got that on paper. It's just a matter of now getting the money to them physically. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, it's all worked out. And the GoFundMe has been a pretty positive experience. And, that's good. Uh, it's nice uh, you write thank you notes to everybody and people that you knew 20 years ago give money. It's like people kind of come mm. out of the woodwork a lot of times and you're like, oh, wow, thanks for thinking of us. I can't believe it. So that's been nice. Yeah, that, it's really great. I was curious how, how the grandma's doing up there. She's still up there, yeah? She came back almost immediately, actually. she. I mean, she came to Kanazawa. Um, oh, okay. She's down with you guys? Uh, in uh, her son's kind of a spare house that he has they have oh, a, okay. a property with two houses on it and uh she occasionally comes down and stays in the other house gotcha and that was the plan anyway because it's winter up there it's kind of brutal right. 
so the last couple of winters, she's come down to Kanazawa to stay. And uh, that was what she was going to do anyway. So they just kind of proceeded with the plan and, and had her down gotcha. there. Um, the crazy thing is her son, who is um, Ayumi's uncle, you know, he's in his 60s. And then the mm. grandmother, I think, is 89. Uh, they got to Kanazawa on January 2nd. Right. And That's right. That, you told me that. Yeah. That was the four-wheel drive. He just, like, rode over like a he-man, like right. all of the, the roads and got down before the roads were closed for emergency vehicles. Yeah, she's all she's all good and down here. But That's uh, good. I don't know about her house, really. It's kind of in disarray. I don't know if the mm. structure looked fine, but, um, you know, there could be some fundamental issue that you can't see. But anyway. Moe's cousin's parents have a house over in Fushiki in Toyama. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of up on a hillside, but there's a pretty well concreted bank so it's pretty safe but that house there was a massive crack in the foundation oh yeah after the earthquake that you wouldn't really notice unless you were like going around but even like their front door got kind of like tilted so Mm -hmm. they couldn't close their door all the way yeah so if a house like that that far away yeah can get that messed up her house at like point zero of the earthquake (laughs) is like could be potentially way more messed up that you just can't see it. Absolutely. Um, There have been a lot of reports out where already uh, some researchers have like canvassed the Noto area to analyze the damage. And this is what they find every single time there's a massive earthquake like this in Japan. It's that houses made before 1981, when they revamped all the building standards, those collapse at a much higher rate than houses made after 81. And then yeah. in, the, in the year 2000, they further made some significant adjustments to the building codes. Uh, that one was specifically about like joinery of like major beams and stuff, how to do that in a safer way. Um, and then it's, of course, that much safer if you have a house that was made after 2000. So yeah. uh, up in Noto, the analysis goes that there's a disproportionately high number of very old houses up there. Yeah. So, it's an area that's already a little bit extra vulnerable. And then the other thing is, remember that earthquake that happened back in May that was a 6.5? Mm. Um, there was a report out that, like you're talking about with uh, your uh, with that other house with the crack in the foundation, that the 6.5 theoretically could have weakened houses or done a bit of damage mm. that people didn't immediately repair. And then weakened, if it gets weaker by 5 or 10%, then the 7.6 comes along then your house doesn't stand a chance. So um, they're saying that it's kind of, uh, there's something that hasn't been looked at much before, but it could be a cumulative effect of several like, you know, 5.0, 6.0 earthquakes, and then a big one hits and then wipes out everything that took minor damage before. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. That's kind of an issue. So yeah, who knows? I mean, with all the earthquakes over the years and the aging of the wood and that sort of thing, um, I, I wouldn't be trusting a house on site alone. I would be, you know, getting it inspected up there. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me worried about my house, but we had it pretty well renovated. So I feel like I'm pretty safe because I think our house was made in 72. Oh, yeah. And then we had it gutted and the mm-hmm. renovation company. I remember having conversations with the the owner of the renovation company and he's like, we're going to put these earthquake safety measures in everywhere. So your house is going to be much stronger. Yeah, that's excellent. Like, and now I'm like, thank you, sir. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
our house, um, I'm so glad it was built in 92 or something. So we're right between the, you know, yeah. it's, it's not a 2000 house, but it's better than a, a pre 81 house. And, um, our house just did so well. Uh, I told you before, but Nico stacks mm. up blocks everywhere. Maybe I said on the podcast, but even I think uh, so. his block stacks didn't fall. So our house like, yeah. got nothing. Um, yeah. And I was house sitting for our friend Joe, uh, and mm. uh, he he lives about a ten minute walk from where I am now at our house. And I went over to their house after the earthquake, and like you know, potted plant had fallen over, and some dishes fell off, and there were, a few things were broken. A few things actually fell into the floor. Oh, um, okay. So within ten minutes, I mean, all around here, things were on the floor in people's houses. Joe's yeah. refrigerator, the fridge scooted out from the wall a bit. But oh uh, wow. Here at our house, I don't know. There's some magic going on, some construction magic, uh, yeah. and even a child's janky toddler block tower <laughs> doesn't fall over in this house. So we're grateful for that. But yeah, it's pretty uh, impressive. Just a very quick, actual, real Nico updates. Um, he's singing or trying to sing now. Wow, um, it's very cute. He like follows along with the. I don't know. You can tell he's just trying. It's like the note is not on and. The lyrics right. are not on, but you know that he's singing as well. He's just like trying to belt it out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we got him before the whole earthquake thing happened. We got him a real deal haircut where we took him to the barbers. Mm. And uh, I wanted to mention this. There's a place called Baby and Mama. Uh, and it's a mm. like hairstylist, hairdresser's place. And um, it's like, this is crucial if you have a kid and you want to give them a, a real haircut, go to a place that specializes in kids' haircuts. Because right. uh, we took Nico first to a place that was like a regular barber but had child's prices on the the menu kind of oh. thing. But it wasn't designed for kids and it didn't have like iPads to watch YouTube. It didn't have like oh. little race car seats and that kind of stuff. Right. So we went in there and Nico's a little fussy and they were like, this is not going to work out. And like they didn't even let us sit down or anything. It was just <laughs> Nico was kind of like, eh, and then the guy just booted us out. It was over. And so we're like, wow, well, what a well, douche. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess <laughs> next week then. But he seriously, the dude didn't have any skills or any approach at all. He was like, yeah, if the kid's fussy, it, it, it just doesn't work out. So thanks, but no thanks. And the, why not like, just refu- flat out refuse from the beginning? Why go through that whole hassle? You yeah. know you're not good at cutting kids' hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just take the kids' prices off the menu. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So then we sought out a place that had like the special seats, and then the people were more bubbly, and they had techniques, you know, like techniques to work oh. with kids and distract them. And uh, Nico was fussy, but we got through a whole haircut in a normal amount of time. It was fine. Um, nice. So it was good. They even had a cape with two holes in it, which I guess is a common oh. thing. But it's yeah, like the yeah. kid sits on your lap, and then the parent's head is through one hole, and the kid's head is through the other hole. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see. so that's yeah, what we that had. That is a good idea. Yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, we put him in the race car at first, and he liked it. But then when the haircut was about to start, he you know, got spooked. Yeah. So then I set him in my lap, and then we put on the two-person cape, and he was fine that way, wow. just watching an iPad, basically. This reminds me of uh, an update. I forgot if I can interject really quick. So we had a hundred day photos Mm -hmm. maybe a month ago now for Emma. Yeah. (laughs) And I totally forgot to mention them before, but you were mentioning like the skill of people doing this kind of stuff. And when you're doing like a hundred day photos or like the haircut of a toddler, like 
these people need to be on all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Like they're just like running around, they're making noise, they're doing stuff, getting the kids' attention. Also, you can just get like a silly picture with them smiling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it really, it really helps out when you have that kind of, I guess, team yeah. around and like everybody's like trying to get this thing done. Yeah. And Baby and Mama was the place for that. Like I highly recommend. I think it's a chain. I think you can find it other places. Oh, okay. Um, and there were several hairdressers there. They were all really like bubbly and happy. And uh, allegedly the parents can get their haircuts too, but there weren't any adults getting haircut when we went there. It was like four or five kids all in the chairs. Oh. So I think it's mostly for the kids. But that's the technique these days is give them a tablet yeah. and put it on a little shelf next to the mirror. And then yeah. what's your favorite YouTube video, kid? Here we go. Tablets just make everything better. That's the solution yeah. to it all. All tablets all the time. One other tiny update, then we'll get right into it. Uh, I think it's too late to get right into anything. But Nico is officially shooting the basketball now of his own volition. Uh, I oh, mentioned nice. this in passing in the last episode. But yeah, he, you know, before he would dunk, he gets as close as he can and he would just dunk the basketball on his kid's hoop. But we were watching basketball and I think he noticed that they were shooting from far away. And so he oh. walked over to the goal as we were watching basketball and he picked up the ball and then he would walk backwards from the goal to get distance oh. and then wow. just start like two hand heaving it over his head. And he's to the point now where from a few feet away, he can make some shots. And wow, uh, that's pretty impressive. It's crazy because it, to me, it was honestly like a discipline thing. Like it's funner to dunk because you know, it's going to go in. Oh yeah. And you get to get right up on it. But he's like. He walks back and he stands there and thinks about it for like 15 seconds and then he just heaves one at the basket. Huh. And uh, it's like he wants to shoot or something just because he saw it on TV. So Is he aiming the ball at anything else in the house, like sinks or is he just like <laughs> ceramics? Really... Yeah. Uh, no, he's um, just for the basketball goal so far. Um, That's good. It blew my mind that he kind of put it all together and then thought, yeah, I want to try that. And he works hmm. on it all the time. It's crazy. I don't know if it's fun for him or if he feels like he needs to get his skills up to make the middle school team. I don't know what his goals are, but um, he's already he's, thinking ahead. He's thinking varsity. He probably wants varsity. <laughs> he wants to be a freshman who makes varsity. It's rare, but I think he can do it. Do they even have that? Is that varsity a thing? Or is it just a club? You're just in a club and then that's I, it. I bet it's just a club and then you get yeah. drafted by the NBA. That's the next step. That's, that's the next step. And then yeah. you're Otani. Yeah. <laughs> Otani of basketball. Yeah. The Otani of basketball. <laughs> Rui Hachimura, come on. <laughs> I figured people would know Otani more. Yeah, probably. They probably do. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Hachimura is one thing, but there's uh, Watanabe as well, um, who's an excellent basketball player. Ken Watanabe? Uh, Ken Watanabe transitioned <laughs> late in his career. Um, it's uh, Utah. So Watanabe Utah. Um, uh, he's, uh, nice. he's he's an excellent role player in the NBA right now. I would say equal to the talent of Rui Hachimura. Don't at me. Wow. But that's what I think. Anyhow, those are the updates. And, excellent. Uh, let's segue to segment. So today I thought I had got uh, a couple texts from friends that got me thinking about like 
childhood mental health in Japan. So mm-hmm. I thought maybe we could discuss that today a little bit. Yeah. And I'll I'll read briefly like part of the the text I got from a friend so we can kick this off. And he said, "We got a notice from my daughter's school that students are not allowed to talk about the earthquake or ask questions about it because some students have family from Noto who lost homes and family members." And I thought that's weird. This is that was like an official letter they got from the school. Mm-hmm. So like higher ups had a meeting about this, talked about it, and then decided we shouldn't talk about this. Yeah, it, I can see halfway what they're driving at, and uh, then the other half of me thinks, you know, did they bring in the counselors? Did they have a big session right. about it to begin with? Uh, but yeah, in one way, it's like you've got elementary school kids, and you know that's a different kettle of fish as they say i was listening to a podcast actually before a week before this and i mentioned mm-hmm. it to you mm-hmm. uh the podcast itself is called hidden brain and i can't think of the specific episode but the guest they had on there was talking about how his mother had passed away when he was in school mm-hmm. and uh he said the school made an announcement that his mother had passed away to the rest of the students and that they shouldn't talk about it with him because they didn't want to upset him. Mm -hmm. And he said he remembered at the time feeling invisible because people, rather than acknowledging it or bringing it up, said they just ignored him and pretended Mm -hmm. like nothing had happened. And he said that almost made it worse because he would rather have people come up and say like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, how are you doing? But instead, everybody just ignored him, which is kind of what I see happening with this notice from the school. It's more like, Everybody's just going to ignore it. But these people who are grieving and who did lose family, they probably do want to talk about it. It very well could be. And I feel like I don't know how to approach it because I just don't know what the school did otherwise. Like, where is the request coming from? Right. Whether it's coming from the family itself or maybe the kid has certain issues and this this is actually the best way to deal with it. Um, on the other hand, I've been through it with schools before in Japan where, um, like, uh, you know, you'll have a suicide at, at a school, for example. I've been through that situation where there's a student suicide. And then um, oh. it really struck me that the reaction of the school in the U.S., it would be immediately like we're bringing in grief counselors. We're calling off school for the rest of the day. And, you know, right. uh, anybody who needs help, please contact this person or that person. Uh, there was very little of that at the time. This was maybe 10 years ago, the one, the instance I'm thinking of, so it might have changed in that time. But um, I remember the only official word we got was uh, an email that said, there's going to be some construction in the library, so please bear with us. And it turns out the construction in the library was they were putting uh, these little brackets on the windows so that the windows couldn't open all the way so that students couldn't jump out of the windows <laughs> because that's oh how my the, God. that's how the suicide had occurred was that a student jumped out from the library window so wow. um, it was like literally just putting a mechanical piece of equipment onto windows was the solution you know and um, wow then i think that uh you know there's a counseling center at the school so counselors are available but there wasn't like this big active outpouring of like support that you would expect in the u.s right so i was surprised by how to me it seemed quite cold or uh, distant or really really hands-off in terms of the response but Mm. in similar instances since that 10 years ago 
I've noticed that there have been like, you know, sharing of the school counselor's facility, like their office numbers and like telling students to go there and that sort of thing. So it has edged okay. in a better direction, I think, in the, in the last decade. Uh, after I read this, I started digging in a little more because I was curious, like just overall, like what the mental health situation for Japan was for children in general. Mm -hmm. And there was a uh, a UNICEF report done in 2020 that ranks all like uh, child ha happiness and well-being, right? And it's like self-reported happiness by the kids. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ranks like, uh, it said it ranks 38 countries. So I assume like first world countries kind of. Um, and it puts uh, Japan at second to last. Oh, Japan. And these are self-reported, so these are what the kids are saying. Mm -hmm. One of the articles I read on this said they just randomly walked up to kids that are like 20-ish or so and asked them, you know, are you happy? Yeah. And like most of them, they said, ranked from like one to five. Yeah. And that's self-reporting, self like, you know, usually if somebody comes up to you and says, how are you doing? You say like, oh, I'm okay. I'd give myself a seven or eight. Yeah. But no, yeah. like these kids are so unhappy. They're actually reporting they're unhappy. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a, a couple of stories when you shared that with me, a couple of things sprang to mind. And I wrote a column about this years ago, but there's so much in Japan that's built into the social hierarchy. And I think uh, right. this was coming out in the report that you were, uh, that you shared. Uh, yes. It's like, you know, you've got to kind of do what your parents tell you to do, which is, as I understand, a very Asian thing. It's in a lot of Asian countries where the parents can right. dictate a lot of what the kids do more so than in the West. And then add on to that social hierarchy stuff, like anybody above you is just going to outrank you no matter what, if they're slightly older, if they, you right. know, are a year above you in school or whatever. So then you end up feeling, I assume you end up feeling kind of uh, closed off or like optionless as a kid, because you're just hemmed in in all these ways. Um, right. So kids want to express themselves more. But I had some personal uh, encounters with this through my life. Um, one time I had a, a student who was an adult. She was a dentist, and she was studying English in her free time, school I used mm -hmm. to work at. And one time I asked her why she was studying English, and her answer was that she said uh, because she felt like she could say anything she wanted in English. And I was like, <laughs> man, that's wild. Like you're That's taking crazy. up a whole hobby and a whole language. To express yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The more you learn about Japanese, the more you realize like, well, there's a lot to this, uh, you know, Keigo, the honorific language. And then even that extends into you can't express certain types of ideas up the ladder and, and that sort of thing. Right. So then she must feel hemmed in in some way, whether it's in her family or her job. But she was just yeah. taking a different language just to say what she wanted to say. Um Yeah. Then uh, a similar instance, I was at uh, Curio, which is a cafe that our good friends run and own. And uh, I was in there. I was the only person in there. And this lady came in and then she came over to me. She was Japanese. And she said, um, uh, excuse me, can I talk to you for like five minutes? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> and uh, she said, I was a student in England and I learned English and then I just want to, you know, practice English when I have a chance to, because in Kanazawa, you don't have so many chances. So if we can just chat right. and I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Sit down. And then while we were sitting there, uh, she said, um, do you have any advice for me about how to uh, not be shy? 
And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it's like, you're, you're insane. I mean, like you came up to a stranger to ask to chat. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then she said, this was the kind of thing that another like sort of revealing moment. She said, but the only reason I came up to you is because there were no other Japanese people in here. And uh, oh. that if there were other Japanese people in the restaurant, they I know they would have been judging me for coming up and talking to you. And uh, so I wouldn't have done it. And so I want to get over that kind of like hesitancy or shyness, you know, in that circumstance. And I was like, man, this is out of my cultural depth. Lady. Like, I have no idea yeah. how to deal with that. <laughs> but just her pointing that out or saying that was the reason she felt free to talk to That's me. That's crazy. Like, no one would be there to sort of judge her. Again, it's like, hierarchy you got to stay in your lane you got to know your role a little yeah. bit and your role is not to go you know flaunt your ability and talk english to this guy it's kind of, also i've been kind of turned on recently to the the real power of the in-group out-group thing and then yeah. i think in japan the in-group is so strong it's to the point that like well don't go choose the out-group don't seek out the out-group because that's not right. what our in-group does you know and uh, it's yeah. like you're prioritizing the wrong way so I kind of uh, got that vibe as well. As though, can you imagine the pressure in daily life if that's what you're feeling really, you know, like that level of judgment yeah. from people. One other final example was um, I had two students, college students years ago, and I put them as a pair, you know, to work together on something. And then one of the students came up to me later and he was like, I don't like my partner. I want to get a new partner. And uh I was like, okay, well, what's the problem with your partner? And he said uh, he doesn't use honorific language t toward me, and I'm older than he is. And I was like, for God's sake. I'd be like, sake. suck it up, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're talking about like a 20-year-old complaining about a 19-year-old because he doesn't give him the proper respect as a 20-year-old. Jesus. And I was God. like, oh, my God. I mean, I liked both those kids. Uh, it, it was fine, and I, you know, I sorted it out. But um, just that that thought is embedded somewhere culturally for it to cross your mind is different. Wow. You would, in the U.S., there, that would not cross a single student's mind ever that there's like a lack of respect among college students or something. It's like, yeah, that's part right. of the deal. We don't respect each other. That's, it's fun. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we make jokes about each other. We call each other stupid and then we, we get a D plus and we move on with our lives. But this um, is a lot of like what we don't see as foreigners here. Cause we just yeah. kind of go about our lives, like oblivious to a lot of this yeah. stuff. Absolutely. And like, our, I think our wives get most of this and that's why they get angry with us a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Because we're so oblivious to this kind of stuff. We just, as they say, gaijin smash our way through these things. Yeah. And then they have to clean it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like in the Simpsons episode where they come to Japan and Homer just walks right through the shoji doors <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they're paper. And it's like how you enter like a football game. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bust through that thing. But uh yeah, it's we do that like on very unseen cultural levels daily. We just smash oh, through yeah. the, the show oh, yeah. door of it and are totally like blissfully unaware on our side, but embarrassingly unaware on the Japanese side, I think. But this kind of stuff puts a lot of pressure on kids, especially yeah. when they're in cool in school. Yeah. To, you know, get in the right clubs or get to the right junior highs and take pass the right tests to get in the right high schools and then college. Yeah. So, you know, I think that all compounds into this like effect of them being really low in mental health. 
Yeah, because they I don't think... they don't put as much consideration on that, obviously. Yeah, I think they have layered on um, a lot of elements in the society that add to stress, which it all is kind of part and parcel of communalism. And when you're going to prioritize a group, there's naturally self-sacrifice. I mean, that has to be part yeah. of uh, prioritizing the group. So it's yeah. almost unavoidable. And I know that as long as I've lived here and even before, there's always been talk of trying to eliminate things like Kago from the workplace, which is like the honorific language and so on. Because oh, it's been impossible. <laughs> yeah, apparently not, because it still goes on, and there's been a push for at least twenty years to try and reduce Kago and like, you know, uh, let's not call the boss only by his title all the time, and let's not use special verb tenses toward the boss, because the fear is that it eliminates the free flow of ideas, which could then benefit your company or your, it your team or whatever. Absolutely does. Which it must. Yeah, <laughs> if all the ideas have to come from the top and criticism can't be directed upwards and on and on. Yeah. And on. So uh, there's been like talk of needing to walk that back, but it's next to impossible to walk it back because yeah, it's unnatural. It would be, yeah. I think a good example is um, like it feels uncomfortable as though you call your mom mom and then suddenly calling her by her first name or something. It's like, I uh, I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. It feels weird. I can't do yeah, it. it yeah. But then imagine if that were on every verb that you use and a lot of your vocabulary choices, it's like everything out of your mouth would feel horrible for a long time. So right. <laughs> basically, like, it's almost impossible to walk it back. I was curious how this would affect our kids growing up, mm. which is kind of what I was I was heading towards with this whole segment to begin with. Like, how do we try to get ahead of some of this stuff? That's a good question. And I've thought about it. Uh, in terms of it seems like we're going to be offering a second way to our kids, like a second way of thinking, a second way yeah. of kind of behaving or interacting or viewing yourself because we're yeah. coming from such a different perspective. But then the counterpoint to that is that our second way is so against the grain of the main yeah. way that our advice will probably get them into like worse sort of angst or strife or something in the social yeah. context in Japan. What well, if they're having a problem and then we tell them like, well, this is what I'd do. That's not going to yeah. fly because they're Japanese and they're speaking Japanese and they're like trying to navigate a situation. So whatever we did as a kid is going to probably make it worse. I wonder if they're going to be given more of a leeway a little bit because they're viewed as half. Yeah, could be. Um, I imagine so. I don't know if that, gets you very far with kids your own age but uh, and conflict resolution that way but maybe with the teachers or something uh i have no idea uh, but it seems yeah. like quite a major issue that's probably going to be a theme for the whole time you're raising your kid you know yeah yeah it's probably the thing i most worry about when they go to school it's like are are they going to feel these social pressures yeah. so much that they you know have a mental health crisis or something one thing that i foresee coming down the road is that i'm gonna fully disagree with whatever the teachers or authority figures decide as a hundred percent something and yeah. i'm gonna be like adamantly opposed to whatever their solution is uh, yeah. and, and then like how do i do i just fully withhold my opinion even you know to the administrator or teacher and to my own child just because it will help him get through it smoothly in the Japanese way because it is in Japan or how do I express it 
in some kind of constructive way because I, I really I feel like you will do a good job. I think you're pretty <laughs> level headed and you're able to hold yourself back. I think you'll do okay. Yeah. I worry about myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I think my wife does too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I do not have that ability to hold myself back a lot. Thankfully, I don't have the language enough to mm. tell a, a principal that he's being an asshole. Yeah. Or else I probably would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I would love to have the language ability to like, like, let's logic this thing out. But then, you know, logic is not the deciding factor right. a lot of times. It's like, no. Harmony is the deciding factor. And if you have to sit on the right yeah. way and bury it deep down so that everybody else can move harmoniously along the wrong way, then I think that happens a lot of times. I think that that comment right there leads directly back to that first text I got and mm. the letter that the school sent. Like it wasn't it's not about the kids who lost family. It's about continuing the harmony of the school. Mm -hmm. And that's I think their primary reason for doing that. They're like, let's get, let's not upset everybody else because we're just here to get through an education. I can see that uh, as the likeliest explanation of yeah. what they're doing. Um, I feel like I still have to withhold judgment because I don't know all the details of the situation, but. Um, that's fine. I'll judge enough for you. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Mark's judging for two now. Um, I think. Uh, it's how I eat as well. <laughs> I was reading something else when I was uh, looking up this UNICEF study. I saw another, also by UNICEF, um, there was a study mm -hmm. about cross-culturally what leads to the best outcomes for kids. And then their basic like bedrock conclusion was if you uh, provide a supportive, loving environment for your kid, then that's going to lead to more positive outcomes. Uh, it, no right. matter what the, the cultural context is, which seems like common sense, but it was nice to see it sort of backed up by their data. Um, right. So I think we can certainly provide that. And within the household, we can provide like discussions on the things. And yeah. we can provide uh, uh, kind of an open forum within the house, even if that's not existing elsewhere in the same way. Yeah. And then crucially, I think that that might be part of the problem of like in the article that you shared with me, they interviewed a few, uh, you know, like young people on the street in Tokyo, I think. Yeah. Uh, to see like if their opinions jived with that UNICEF finding and that one of the kids they interviewed said that his parents basically made all the decisions for him and said yeah. like you can or can't go to this college or when you find a job, it has to be back here near the house and that sort of thing. Yeah. And then it, it led to a lot of conflict in the family. So we're not going to impose that sort of thing uh, likely. Right. You know, we'll have that sort of freer mindset uh, that comes with being Western a lot of the times. So um, I think that the kid is already, as long as we can provide the loving structure for one, mm. and then as long as we're a little bit, you know, allowing the kid the freedom on the family side, uh, then it probably puts the kid like 50% ahead of the game compared to some right. other households and educational settings that other kids yeah. might be experiencing here. That's a good point. So that may be the beginning and end of our influence is to really kind of keep it in the house. The house is going to be a Switzerland when it comes to that. Is that, is that right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll get a nice Swiss flag up on the front door. Anything goes here. You can say what you want, do what you want. Yeah. Complain about your crazy school policies and so on. Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that was a good segment. Thank you very much. 
Yes. So let's take a seat on the throne. Let's go to Japati. Here in Japati Town, uh, this is a very simple word, but it's more about the grammar of it. Um, this is the verb for cry. It's a cry, and it's naku. Mm. N-A-K-U, naku. It means to cry. Um, and I think this is a good example of why Japanese is so hard to learn, uh, later in life especially, is that you're equally likely to hear naku for cry as you are naita, which is the past tense, which means cried. You know, like, hmm. like you'll probably hear the past tense more because it's like, ah, oh, he cried at daycare or whatever, you know, when you're telling a story or oh. something. Hmm. So then the problem, this kind of uh, just symbolizes something for me. It's that naku and naita sound almost nothing alike. Whereas yeah. in English, at the very least, you have cry, cries, cried, crying. <laughs> like there's a qu- something to latch onto. <laughs> and in naku and naita, you do have that in sound at the beginning but even the way that we perceive a verb or the way that we perceive a vowels in English, like the nai, if you were to write it out, you would write like, well, N-I-N-I-E if you're trying to spell it. Whereas naku, you would do N-A. So you're even like visualizing or you're contemplating a different vowel sound, though in Japanese, they're both, they start with N-A, of course. So Mm. I think um, this is part of the trouble is that you're not really learning Naku is cry, and then you understand a lot. It's like, well, I've got Naku is cry. Now I've got to learn the past tense. Now I've got to learn mm. the, the polite past tense. And now I've got to learn the, you know, like you've got all of these <laughs> tenses and then, of course, the respect levels to go through. And then by the end of it, you've dedicated like six or seven memory slots to the word cry, whereas right. in, in English, you can kind of get by with just one of the slots. And it's so much more difficult when you're trying to produce it uh, fluently. Because you've got to mm. like, shuffle through all those cards in your mind. I mean, I'm speaking as someone who's obviously not fluent. So with fluency, it, it doesn't feel like you're shuffling through the cards. But right. um, for me, it definitely still does. And this is what holds me up a lot is like, okay, which of the 10 versions of this verb am I supposed to say right now? And then as I'm thinking of that, like my communication's falling apart because I'm not saying yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, and I fully realize the hypocrisy in this because I've chosen cry, which is a regular verb as opposed to uh, the many, many English verbs, which are irregular, like um, sure. write, wrote, written. Those are all like quite different. So English has its fair share of this, and English is stupid for that, absolutely. But um, in, in Japanese, it's like uh, playing 3D chess or something. I, I talk, I've said this before, I'm sure. English is hard. It's like hard like chess. But Japanese is hard like Star Trek's 3D chess, where there's like boards mm. on top of boards, and it's... Uh, right. This it's another level. I thought uh, naku, it's good kids vocab, and naita is the past tense, and it kind of exemplifies why Japanese is tough. So on to McQuiffy. My question for you is: How would you say your attention is divided between your two kids? There are a few ways you can think about mm. it. Like say, like the attention that you pay to Coda. And that Moe pays Dakota, the attention you pay to Emma and Moe pays to Emma. Is it like a 50-50? Is it 60-40 for each of you? Or the attention that both of mm. you cumulatively have to pay Dakota and to Emma, is that a 50-50? Or, or what would you say? Um, I think just because Coda's in daycare and he's gone for like, you know, 
seven, eight hours a day mm-hmm. that immediately gives Emma more attention mm-hmm. from both of us because she's here all the time and basically with Moe, 90% of her time. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd say definitely Emma's getting 60% at mm-hmm. least of attention mm-hmm. from both of us. And Coda's probably getting a good 40% from each of us. Yeah. When he's around, it's probably 50-50, I'd say. Okay. Because he's pretty he's pretty on his own right now, so he doesn't need to be constantly watched or held or he really enjoys just playing by himself a lot. So yeah. It's hard to say like how much more attention because he's he doesn't need that much right now, whereas Emma's constantly needing somebody to like hold her or feed her or burp her. Yeah. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, so maybe 60-40. Okay. I was curious yeah. about this because it seems that um, kids at different ages, like they require just different kinds of attention. Like Coda can yeah. get into real trouble, like um, messing something yeah. up in the house or really hurting himself by doing something. Oh, he tries. Crazy. Yeah, yeah so he tries. <laughs> you've really got to be like on your game watching him. And it's more of a, I don't know, you can take your eyes off him sometimes, but there's more peril involved. Whereas yeah. with, with Emma, if she's just chilling, you know, she's just chilling because she can't move anywhere. But then yeah. that means anything that Emma does, you have to be doing for her. So it seems like each of them might require more attention in, in different ways. I find that it's really difficult when you're the only parent and both of them are around. Yeah. Because like you said, like Coda's like mischievous and really trying to figure stuff out. So he's getting into like everything. But you have this person with you who can't do literally anything. So yeah. You're just, you have to be with her. Yeah. And you know, when we do this podcast, Moe's in the other room. She's got both of them. And so <laughs> <laughs> she's dealing with that all the time. Yeah. So it's pretty tough to to kind of manage that. At that point, you're probably like 50 50 just because you have to. Like one mm. of the kids you have to hold probably in a carrier or if they're sleeping. That's the ideal situation. They can sleep in the cot and then the other one, maybe you've put some like Paw Patrol or whatever show they like on yeah, and they can watch that. But it's usually not that divided. Mm-hmm. So you've pretty much got one that you're carrying and the other one's running around and trying to pull the toaster on their head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Nintendo really solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? When that kid's old enough to sit down. With oh, Nintendo, yeah. I totally get... uh the parenting by proxy now. Yeah, I can see why most parents have switches for their kids once they reach a certain age and they're just like, okay, there you go. You do that. Or they have the iPad. Yeah. Play with this, please, God. I was over at that birthday party and, uh, or not the birthday party, but before that, we were at uh, Moy's cousins for like a New Year's party, I think it was. And like, mm-hmm. Her other cousin from her other side of the family was there as well. And he brought his two sons. And I guess they're pretty strict with the iPad. They like give them like an hour a day each. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do you get anything done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good question. And honestly, I was thinking like an hour a day, man, that sucks that you have to do an hour yeah. a day on the like in terms of that being a lot of time on the iPad. But at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's as the adult, that's almost your only free time as well. Cool. Well, thank you for answering McQuiffy. Mm. Uh, Good question. Head over to some dad jokes. 
So that means good. We have no theme song, so I guess we're not heading over there. We are there. No, we I've are got, there. I've got two dad jokes. How about you? Also two. Okay, well, you can kick it off. Then. Mine have a theme, so oh, yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll notice. Uh, the first one. I can't believe I got fired from the calendar factory. All I did was take a day off. <laughs> hey yo. <laughs> That's good stuff. It reminds me of like why did the guy get fired from the M&M factory cuz he was throwing away all the W's. Yeah. <laughs> and the capital E's. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh I tried to explain to my 4-year-old son that it's perfectly normal to accidentally poop your pants. But he's still making fun of me anyway. <laughs> I just got fired from my job at the keyboard factory. Mm-hmm. I lost control one day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that joke is just begging for a tag of like, yeah, I shot the place up. I shot the place yeah. up. <laughs> Take it into a dark place. Take uh, it just one step too far. <laughs> Speaking of a dark place, I wasn't close to my father when he died. Which is lucky because he stepped on a landmine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> or not, if it's true. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at info at the Talk to you next time. Pizza time.